Hi, hello, and welcome to the Back to the Pavilion podcast. Happy New Year. I hope you had a wonderful festive period and despite lockdown are having as good a 2021 as possible. I'm really excited to be back and bringing you all new episodes of the podcast every Monday with brilliant guests and their wonderful stories. Today sees us flying east to Singapore to find our first guest of 2021, a veteran of four counties before a hugely successful career in the media came calling. So join me as we welcome Jason De La Pena, back to the pavilion i think i think everybody deals with it in their own way I, you know personally i had a very difficult time cricket was was my kind of be all and end all really and and i and i didn't have anything you know in in backup to protect me as it were um and i came from a you know very a, a bitterly divorced family so you know i i was always searching for a mentor or you know a kind of tower of strength to lean on um you know, in my darkest moments, and obviously one of those darkest moments was was when I got released by, I didn't get released by Gloucestershire, I went from Gloucestershire to Surrey of my own volition. Uh, and then got released by Surrey, got the yips, um, and then and then went to, I think I, I spent a few winters in South Africa getting my game back together, but, you know, ultimately got released uh, from Worcestershire at the, you know, the end of my career, having had a really good time of it, ha- having had a really good season, actually. Um, and then I was like, you know, what do I do now? <laughs> I'm, I'm essentially retired at 28 and yeah, just lost, you know, absolutely really horribly lost. And, you know, uh, and uh, it's a funny one because whatever impression people had of me during, you know, in the county game of fairly, you know, phlegmatic water off your back, water off, you know, water off the duck's back kind of attitude. Uh, you know, it, it certainly wasn't that inside, you know, it was, um, you know, when, when my career was over, it was horrible and I was lost and I didn't know what to do and I had the rest of my life to live and I was 28 years of age and, and no qualifications, no, just nothing behind me and no, no support mechanism really. Obviously I had a loving mum and, and stepfather, but, you know, I, was, I felt very, very much alone. Um, and then there was Jason Ratcliffe of the PCA. Thank God, you know. <laughs> did you did you consider another county after Worcestershire, or was it that that was it for you? No, you know, uh, Hugh. I, you know, I'm not sure what other what other cricketers have said, but you know, for me, I I'd, I'd spent so many winters abroad. You know, and as a bowler, as a quick bowler, that's tough on the body and tough. I think probably tough mentally really i i used to spend my winters in in australia i spent two winters in tasmania and then about i think six or seven winters in south africa which was great but uh, i think you know by the time my bilathi told me it was to that i you know i wasn't going to make it and i think i was 10th in the bowling averages in the first class averages uh you know uh it was obviously that he and he and the club had come to a decision um you know, I, I think um, I was, I, I played a bit of minor counties, but I think I was probably, you know, I think I was done by then. I think not not physically because I was fit. You know, I'd, I'd had a stress fracture at the beginning of my career and I was fit and, you know, fire, I was bowling quick. Um, I, I was probably actually happy that it was all over, actually. Um, not that I'd been feigning at a career because I'd had a really good season with Worcester, like I say, I, you know, got three games on the bounce where I got 10 wickets and I, you know, I was 10th in the averages. And, um, but I think, 
looking back, it was probably the right decision by Worcester and 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 Ath. Um, although it hurt, you know, it was just a it was a kind of combination of there was a huge weight off my shoulders, but also it was like I said before, it was wow, uh, okay, this is bad, <laughs> and I descended into a fairly dark place. I think pretty quickly after that. Um, although I'd lined up a job in London, I, you know, completely through nepotism, you know, this kind of the boarding school network and, and, a, and a friend of mine uh, whose wife owned a media agency and they very kindly took me on as a graduate trainee and I was earning nothing, but it was a chance, right? It was a chance in a different career, which a lot of people don't get. But I think the transition from a cricket pitch to a desk is tough. Is tough to is tough to make, and there was a team environment at this media agency, which was great. A lot of banter, but you know, sitting behind a desk, crunching out TBRs and impacts and coverage for you know, uh, I was a media buyer. Um, you know, making phone calls and going out on drunken lunches and stuff like that it was fun, but it wasn't. You know, it was very alien, and I think anybody making that transition, going from a cricket pitch to a to anything else is is tough and and you know now i guess that's why so many so many of us you know we're all cut from a similar cloth we all go we go into coaching or straight into coaching or like me 25 years whatever it is down the line you go back into coaching which i'm doing now <laughs> you know. what was the what was the toughest thing for you going from playing to that behind a desk was it the difference or was it the the lack of the camaraderie of the team or what did you find the toughest thing I think just the difference. I think the, you know, you, you know, county cricket is, is quite formulaic. You know, you, you turn up, you train, you go to the gym, you play a game, you have a couple of days off, you go back in, you train, you treat your injuries, you, you know, lunch is provided, you, you're given a car, you, you know, you, you're basically told, do this, do that, do this, do that. And I, you know, I'd had a, before my county cricket career, I have a 12 or 13 year of boarding school, right? Which is the same insular existence as county cricket. And that's why we all struggle. Uh, well, I, I can't speak for everybody and it's not true for everybody, but that's why a lot of county cricketers uh, struggle to, to transition, to pivot. Um, I think the hardest thing for me was you know, my buddies. Yeah, I, you know, I, I love, love the changing room banter. Um, especially Worcester, I made, you know, really good friends with Matt Rawnsley, Duncan Cattrall, um, you know, uh, most of the guys in the second team, Elliot Wilson, Ruben Spiring, you know, names like that you'll remember. Uh, you know, um, Martin, uh, sorry, James Pike, who I think ended up at Derbyshire, didn't he? Yeah. Didn't yeah. He, is he now the physio there or something? Physio or? at Knotts now, Pipey. Right, okay. Okay, Pipey was the top lad. Pipey? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, yeah, I think just, the, you know, the change, the banter, the, the no longer, you know, just the team. I guess the team thing, you know, knowing that you're, you know, your buddies were fighting for you as you were fighting for them kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, a combination of things. I probably have to think more about that question. Um, but it was all I'd known, right? You know, from the age of, I think I made my debut at 17 at Gloucester and I was 28. So 11, 12 years, that's all I'd known. Cricket, summer in the England, winter in, summer in England, winter in South Africa, Australia. So that's literally all you know, that insular existence where it's a team game, but it's made up of individual performances. Um, you know, uh, yeah, there's, there's a few factors that I, that I really, really miss. But I think probably just that, 
just that, you know, almost regimented, you know, you knew what you were doing day in, day out. Um, you know, if you weren't playing, you were training and, uh, and that was, that was kind of, you know, stuck it, concreted into my mind. That, that was how, that was my existence really. And, and, to, you know, that boarding school and then the professional cricket career. So what, 24 years, whatever of, of a, an incredibly insular existence. It was, it was tough to exit out of it. Not, a, not that I'm, you know, it's not an excuse, but it was just difficult. Had you done much sort of planning or preparation for life after cricket or was it just? No, no, nothing. I think you live, I think you live for, for the now, you live for the day, right? As a cricketer, I think, I think sports people generally do. Uh, although it is obviously a lot better now and we all realise, you know, it's bloody important and, and the PCA, uh, I'm not too sure, but I, you know, like I say, I mentioned Jason Ratcliffe again, because he helped me and the PCA through him helped me, um, you know, and it's obviously, a, you know, an injury, yips, whatever it is, a badly broken hand, you know, you know, it can be anything. You can fall down the stairs, whatever it is, you know, you don't know, as with life, you don't know what's going to happen, right? Um, I think you're naive to it when you're a kid and all, all you see is cricket. All you want to do is play cricket, right? So, um, and as much as people will advise you, you need to look to the future. You need to invest, take some of that money, put a deposit down on a property or, you know, sort your pension out. You know, I went through my whole career. I didn't even, I remember I moved from Surrey to, I think, Worcester or, you know, Kent, um, you know, and my pension kind of followed me around. And then I think at the end of my career, I got a pension. It was about 900 quid or something. I hadn't been, you know, I hadn't been paying into it. It's completely naive to everything. Uh, in life outside of cricket, taxes, car insurance, turning on a computer. I had no training in, in you know, I was, no, I was completely computer illiterate. Um, but I think now, you know, the, the game hopefully is in a much healthier state and, and players are far more aware and, and the, you know, the, from the, the county committees to the, to the PCA to, to everything is just in a much, much better place, you know. You talk about Jason Ratcliffe. What what did he do for you to to help you get back on your feet? Well, that guy had. I mean, he. You know, Ratters. I, I played with him at Surrey, and I remember. You know, I I, I remember just very quickly. I, I would have a. I bowl really well one game. Get you know, six for six for spit. You know, get the best batsman out, whether it was first team or second team. And then the next day, I'd be spanked around the park, and I'd literally sit in the change room at the Oval and and just stare into stare over the, the field towards the, the gas, the gas camp, the, those big gas holders, and just kind of think, Christ, what the hell's happened? It was huge, incredible highs, incredible lows. And Ratters would say, mate, come on, you know, it's just a bad day. Everybody has a bad day. The umpire has a bad day. You have a bad day. You know, a businessman in, in, the, London, in, London, in the city has a bad day. It doesn't matter. It's just, that's life. But I couldn't, I, you know, maybe I set my standards too high. Um, Ratters, you know, when I saw him, um, probably would have been uh, 2002, I guess. So I was probably three years out of the game and, and, you know, lost. I was driving a transit van around London as a landscape gardener. There's nothing wrong with that job, but I always knew I could do a lot more personally. It's a great job, great for the soul. And God, I was fit as a fiddle. Um, 
And, uh, but I was very down on myself, incredibly down on myself. And Retta's, you know, I, I, I met my now wife and I'd done a little bit of broadcasting in South Africa on kind of Tux Radio in Pretoria and um, worked with Fanny de Villiers because he was doing some reporting for Heifel Radio and, and some other South African stations when England were touring South Africa. When was it when Atherton and Russell held off mm. Donald and co in the Wanderers? It was that year. It was probably, yeah. what, 90 eight or something i can't remember yeah, around 97 98 yeah yeah uh and uh you know i've done a little bit of broadcasting my wife said straight away you in front of camera whatever what are you going to do this this is you she saw it uh and i you know i wanted to do it but i didn't know how to start and she worked as a she worked in in tv sales she worked for an indian uh like star news star world star sports all that kind of stuff um so I, went, I approached Ratters. I said, you know, would the PCA put any money towards me doing a kind of journalism and, and TV presenting course? And they did. They put a little bit of cash. It wasn't a huge amount. I mean, uh, you know, but, you know, Ratters, Ratters was, has always been very supportive and, and very, you know, he's, he, that guy just oozes empathy and, um, and emotional intelligence. And I think that, you know, in... You know, those are those are kind of X factors, right? They're very special things. Um, and uh, he he was very supportive of me and always checked up on me. I spoke to him actually a few months ago. Um, you know, great guy. I, I can't speak highly enough about Jason Ratcliffe. And I know there are a lot of other cr people within the cricketing world who feel the same as well. So, um, you know, he just, uh, he helped me out. Gordon Lord as well, uh, former Worcestershire batsman who was head of elite coaching at the ECB. He... He, he said, mate, you, you become a great, you would, be, you could become a great coach because you, you have those qualities that I was talking about of Jason Ratcliffe, you know, um, uh, you know, and, and Lordy helped me get my, my coaching badges and I got my level three, you know, came through the course really strong. Um, you know, so there's a few kind of mentor types in my, in my uh, post cricket life, as it were, but Ratters is a yeah, top lad top human being so how do you go from driving a transit van around london being a landscape gardener to being fox sport asia news anchor yeah so you said anchor right yeah um <laughs> uh, uh so listen you know as i said my my wife uh, my now wife um she she kind of she saw it more than me, really, although I, I, I wanted to do this whole media kind of presenting thing. She, um, you know, I was broke. I was broke. I'd, I'd invested in an apartment in Stratton with my brother. Uh, you know, I was in a, I was in a, I had credit card. Debt. I was in a, I was in a right old pickle. And uh, she said, listen, you, you put the flat up for rent. You come stay with me. I'll sponsor your journalism course. Um, uh, you know, and that was it, really. Uh, and then, so I did my journalism through long distance learning. In the meantime, I was coaching at some schools in London, St. Paul's and Collet Court and uh, some other ones. I was, I, was, I was doing a bit of coaching at Richmond Cricket Club um, to pay off my credit card debt. Um, can you imagine? She just kind of picked up this, this kind of failed professional cricketer. Although I would say one thing about that, and I digress again, but it was when I was in media buying and, and I was very down on myself after my career. And someone said to me, this, this Scottish guy called Alex Gemmell, lovely guy. 
he said, you know, mate, you've done something that what? How many professional cricketers are there in England? I said, well, I don't know. At the time, there was probably, what, 20 on a staff, so 18 counties, 360. He said, look at that. You've done that for 12 or 13 years, and you're down on yourself? I know people who give their, you know, who give their, give their everything to be in a position that you're in, and you played first-class cricket. Might not have been as much as you would have wanted. Or... So he kind of put it into perspective for me, and I was, I was better after that. Um, so how do I go from cricket? Yeah, so my wife basically sponsored me, or my fiance at the time, she sponsored me. Uh, and we, uh, I would, you know, I got my, my journalism to, uh, course, came through it with flying colors, paid off my credit card. I was in a better place mentally, obviously. Um, you know, uh, and I would buy the Media Guardian every Wednesday. I'm not sure if that still happens because I've been in Singapore now for, to, for 11 years. But uh, there are a bunch of uh, international news channels opening up in Russia today in Moscow opened up. Uh, I applied for a sports anchor job there and I went for a screen test in Camden. These, these Russian guys came over and uh, <laughs> it's, it's nothing dodgy, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, um, and that was it. And then I got, I went from 900 quid a month to, I got a let, I got an email from the former head of Reuters who was setting up this channel for, uh, you know, for a lady called Margarita Simonian who was heading up this channel. And I went from, you know, 900 quid a month to an offer of like 100,000 US and uh, it was nuts. It was just a nuts, crazy time. And, uh, and I sat on the email for weeks because I didn't want to tell my, my fiance, I'm going to have to go and live in Moscow. But she said, go straight away. You have to go. Um, and also this is off the back of a guy called Barney Francis, who was head of, head of cricket at Sky. Uh, Harpender, I think he's with Harpender Cricket Club, loves his cricket. Anyway, you know, great guy. He, you know, I, I always used to go to Barney and say, can I get a job at Sky? And he was like, well, you don't have any experience. You have to go away, get some, come back. We'll get to that in a minute. Went to Moscow, amazing, crazy time. I've got, I should write a book, just some ridiculous stories. But uh, yeah, went to Moscow, did that for a year and a half, and then tried to work my way back to my fiance in London. So I got a job at France 24 in Paris, Half of my family's French. I speak fluent French. It's a French broadcaster. So got to Paris and then I'd take the Eurostar every few days and, and go back to London and then work at British Eurosport uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, British Eurosport in Feltham next to the Young Offenders Institute, which is apt for me. Um, and then I go back to Paris, do my French stuff. And then after a year, two years of that knackering, you know, stuff, uh, but it was a second chance. So I worked yeah. my ass off. I worked my ass off. You know, it was crazy. I remember I'd get back to London at 9pm on, on a Monday night on the Eurostar. And then I'd be up at 2am for British Eurosport to do their news bulletins. And then, you know, it was just nuts. Money was great. Worked my backside off. Uh, it was a second chance. And I, and I was grateful for it. And then, and then got a gig at Sky News. Um, doing hard news and sport. And then, uh, to cut a long story short, in 2009 um, or 2008, my, my daughter was born. And then a few, couple of months later, my brother died. Uh, so yet another, you know, kind of emotional roller coaster. And then my wife and I, my wife's Indian. So we, uh, you know, her, her parents, uh, you know, there was, there was some jobs going at, at ESPN Star in Singapore and I applied and I, and I got a good job presenting the Premier League news here, uh, Premier League football coverage. And we kind of wanted, 
my daughter and we were pregnant with another and my wife was pregnant with our son um uh we wanted them to be closer to the kind of indian side of the family uh hence singapore and india is only a three-hour flight so that's kind of my my tv career in in one minute kind of thing how how much does it help you having played first class professional sport when you're presenting professional sport 100 uh, percent big time because it gives you that you know that, that word gravitas mm. it's it's a weird one isn't it we don't really know what what gravitas is but it you know i i talk to sports people whether you know i've been lucky enough to chat to roger federer novak djokovic rafa nadal uh you know tiger woods whoever it may be i talk to that you know i I've experienced playing with Alex Stewart or against, you know, Ricky Ponting. Or so for me, it, they're just skin and bone. They're just normal human beings. I'm not saying I'm the same level as them, but I'm just saying, uh, you know, they're just for me. They're, you know, I, I you know, I've, I've spent 12 years as a professional cricketer in changing rooms with those kind of guys: Graham Hick, Tom Moody, Stewart, Hollyoak, uh, you know. Who was a Ken? I can't remember who was a Ken. Carl Hooper, you know. Uh, even I had a I had a try a few trials in Middlesex. And there was bloody Jacques Callis and Ramprakash and Embury and Gatting and you know. So legends of of that sport. So when I meet a legend of another sport, I respect what they've done in the game. But I don't. It doesn't make them. You know, I don't. Um, I don't shy away from a from a, a cheeky question or a, maybe a controversial question you know i don't for me it's uh, they're just you know blood skin and bone just like me right um so i think it i think it 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 carries a huge amount of sway and i think people actually you know within sport whether it's cricket tennis football whatever it's a small community and once they know that you've played a sport at a high level they know what you're they know that you know what they're going through whether it's physically or mentally or do you know what i mean there's a the kind of there's a kind of meeting of, of minds in that way and maybe the way i chat to them about injuries or you know sometimes i say hey Rafa, great to see you how's the body because that's a big deal to a cricketer or a tennis player it's like the body is constantly in pain pretty much right so um i think it helps me get across to them in a in a more uh, just in a better way really it makes me kind of draw them in and 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 hopefully they open up in an interview or because they know that I've kind of been through it. it. Might be a different sport, but I've kind of been through what they what they go through. So, I guess I hope. Is there any sport you particularly prefer? Because you cover across all sports. Is there any sport mm. you really prefer covering? I love tennis. I I I, I basically cover our Grand Slam tennis coverage across Asia. Uh, tennis has has become a, a huge part of my life, actually. Um, Never really loved it actually when I was playing cricket, but I think, I think I, I got the opportunity to present our Grand Slam tennis coverage. And, and you know, in TV land, when you get an opportunity, you grab it and you try and make it yours. Um, and I, I hopefully I have done that. Uh, I, you know, I'm just uh, like you, I, you know, it's like my wife is like, you've just done a 12 hour stint in the studio on tennis and you're back home and you're watching bloody tennis. What's wrong with you? And you do 12 hour stints or sometimes longer because in Asia, the hours are tough, right? Midday in Paris is 10 p.m. here. So I'm going on, on air at 10 p.m. or 8 p.m. or, you know, or the other night I did a show for ESPN at 2 a.m. in the morning. Uh, you know, 
So I, we're just sports nuts, right? And, I, you know, it, it runs deep in our veins. And I can't, I can't I'm, I'm, I've just been watching Invictus, the story of the, you know, Matt Damon and Nelson Mandela and, you know, South Africa winning the Rugby World Cup in 95. You know, um, yeah, I just, just any, any sport. I, I love golf, tennis, football, rugby. Rugby I'm a big fan of because I was very tight with my brother and he sadly died and his... His big passion was rugby and, you know, he played rugby at a, at a very high level and, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, everything really. I'll watch cliff diving. I don't care. You know. <laughs> do you, um, do you think that, I'm oh, sorry, I was going to ask it. You've just covered the French Open and the Masters in America yeah. without fans. What impact do you yeah. think, you know, not having fans in the stadium and, and on the courses is having for the sport? Well, the French Open was, the US Open was, was pretty much without fans. The French Open, I think on Philippe Chatrier, the main call, they let in a thousand fans who, because they, they went into ballots because all the people that bought tickets hmm. could put their hat, could put their names in the ballots or whatever. And so there was a thousand fans and they made a ton of noise, which was great. I think it's, I, you know, I think something like Augusta, the Masters, it's very different because it's year in, year out, we go back to Augusta and that's the only golfing venue where there is the same, or pretty much, well, and the only major that's played at the same course year in, year out since 1934. So I think it was more weird for us uh, because the golfers have been playing without fans since June, right? Since, since golf came out of the coronavirus lockdown, so, or hiatus. I think it was more weird for us seeing Augusta in November without the pink azaleas. Yeah kind of browning of the leaves and no crazy American fans going, whoa, get in the hole, man, Tiger, you're the man, you know. I think it was just, yeah, it just looked strange to us. And there was, you know what I liked in the summer when England were playing West Indies is that um, Sky bumped up the noise level, like, you know, the din of the crowd, yeah. at the Rose Bowl or Old Trafford. They didn't do that with the golf. The American producers decided not to do it. Um, because I, I thought that was quite effective. Because actually, if you block out, if you if the camera angles right and you block out the crowds anyway, uh, you if you just closed your eyes, you could imagine that it was a packed house at, at Old Trafford or you know or Augusta. But I think it was just more weird for us, the the viewer. Uh, you know, professional sports. You know, they're professionals, right? So they'll they'll do their best. I think it I think it benefited some players, particularly with the Masters and with. With the French Open, you know, uh, or Rafa, I'm, you know, there's this question about would it benefit introverted sports people because they don't, they don't bounce off the noise of the crowd. Tiger needs the crowd to, you know, to get up, um, and some players don't. So uh, Dustin Johnson is, he's not an introvert, but he keeps his his his, you know, powder pretty dry. You don't know much about him. He, he has a very close knit team, and they don't go out much and stuff like that. So, you know. Uh, I think it can benefit the introvert Dominic team at the U.S. Open. You know, Rafa's obviously a different case at Roland Garros. It's just no one can touch him there. But, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, but hopefully with vaccines on the way, hopefully we'll be, I think the, the Tokyo Olympics chief has said that there'll definitely be fans of the Tokyo Olympic Games. So we'll see. We'll see. Well, for something like the Olympics, do you get to go and present from the stadium or is it, or will you be based in Singapore still? yeah. You know, with COVID and with just with the way broadcasting is changing, you know, with Zoom or Twitter or Facebook or, you know, all these, uh, 
it's cheaper for broadcasters now just to have me in a studio and uh, you either take the world feed, you know, the, so that whoever the broadcasters are in Tokyo, we just, we just buy the rights off them and I'll, you know, um, or you uh, send a small reporting team to, uh, you know, like a couple of reporters and two cameramen rather than sending a whole team and having a big studio at a, at an event. Uh, with with Fox Sports here, we do we we do go to Wimbledon. We go to the French Open as well. Wimbledon and, and Augusta we go to because our big sponsors are Rolex, so they insist that we have presence at the the Blue Ribbon events. Um, obviously not this year because it's messed everything up. But um, you know, hopefully from next year onwards we we'll be back at Wimbledon and we have a great studio at Wimbledon and it must cost a ton of cash. But um, you know, it's uh, you know Rolex pay for that so. But I think, you know, broadcast is changing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Tokyo 2021. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the Australian Open Tennis as well. You know, will big broadcasters send huge teams uh, to, to massive events or, or will they just rely on, you know, like a one-man band, uh, you know, one cameraman and, and, a, and, a, and a presenter who can also edit and file packages and just send everything back, you know. We'll see. Do you, do you get to present and much cricket or is that not part yeah of a little bit uh yeah i was well the last cricket presentation i did was australia india i think 2011 2012 when india got smoked but uh i think Kohli, you know Kohli came through got 100 in perth um and uh and then i'm now because fox have been bought out by disney and disney own espn so we're starting to do some more stuff with ESPN. And I, actually, I did a show the other night with Alexis Nunes, who, who works on ESPN Crick Info and uh, had a chat to her about, you know, IPL and stuff. And, and Coley's going to miss three test matches in, in Australia for the birth of his child. And uh, so, yeah, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, going to do some more. Um, but, you know, the game's changed, right? I mean, the game has changed so much. And uh, certainly since I, I finished and, and obviously you know, my last bit of reporting, even in, you know, since 2011, 2012, the game has changed immeasurably. So, but great to see that Pakistan are going to be hosting England and, uh, and hope, uh, England are going to go to South Africa, right? I think it starts soon, no, November the yeah, 27th. I think. They're, they're out, out there now quarantining. Yeah. And, and, um, yeah, yeah. 27th. So I think it's got, I think the, the work that sporting bodies have done to book, to get sport on in these times is, yeah, it's fantastic. Incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think people realise during that lockdown, although England's back in another lockdown and Singapore things have uh, touched wood a lot better, but uh, I think people, you know, I think associations, governments, you know, whatever it is, sporting, you know, sporting governance, whatever it is, you know, they've realised how important sport is to people, particularly in a lockdown. You know, you need something to look forward to at the weekend or... Um, you know, you need, you need, you know, and if people are in lockdown, you need a, a goal in a way, um, pardon the pun, but you need something to focus on on a Saturday, right? It's all right. It's all right. Week's going to be terrible, but at the weekend we've got Spurs against whatever it is, you know, or Derby County against, haven't they just sacked the manager, Derby County? They have, yeah. You see, I'm, I'm a Sheffield United fan. I, I, okay. I moved, <laughs> south, well, a, a little bit south from, um, from that direction, but yeah, so... I mean, we're awful so far this year, but never mind. Is it Kuko? Kuko? What's his name? Kuko, is it? Kuko, that's right. Ex-Netherlands guy. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You say like cricket's changed. How have you seen like you touched on it, like the media change since you've been working in it? Well, the media's ch- no. I just think you know Twitter. I mean, Twitter a few years ago had a had a deal with NFL. They were showing NFL games on I think Thursday night games. You know, Facebook are buying up sports rights all over the world. You know, no longer are people sitting at home watching. Well, actually, no, that's not entirely true. I think people still love to watch live sport on a big screen at home, thank God. But they've also got their mobile phone and their iPad and they're following, you know, that game or or the comments on Twitter or they're looking at other matches that are going on. You know, there's so many different ways to to view sport these days and you know linear tv is is it's a challenge right it's a real challenge um so you know and for me as well as as a sports fan i don't know how you feel but if there's a studio show before a big football match or whatever if if the pundits aren't great or the pundits are not relevant you know i can probably get better pre-match uh uh coverage on a social media platform, on a Twitter or a Facebook or a, whatever it is, LinkedIn or Instagram. Do you know what I mean? I can, it's, um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's changing massively and it's, it's, uh, God, where do you start? I mean, it, it, absolutely. And, and, and I think, you know, broadcasters like myself are having to adapt, you know, very, very quickly. And, uh, you know, if, if we're not producing our own content, then we need to, then we need to kind of. If we're not producing our own content, then we, and if we're not active on social media and, and actively engaging with our followers, uh, you know, I think I think you can you can die a pretty quick death. Actually, not for everyone, but not. Uh, but I, I that's kind of. I think it's been a wake up call to to all of us really. And and you see now what people are doing on, you know, whatever it is. Uh, cooking you know people are just doing their own stuff from the front room and it's bloody effective they're learning how to edit they're learning how to use stills obviously they can't buy you know rights packages but um you know people are people are smart you know and 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 savvy and and you know dinosaurs like myself need to need to catch up you say that though but you've diversified i mean you were a guest judge on asia's next top model how how does <laughs> How does that come about? Oh man, I and said to my cool. wife, you know, I, I remember I said to my wife, I said, because it was it was when Fox were taking over from ESPN Star, and uh, I said to my wife, this would be really good for my for my career, and uh, she said, what you're going to the Malaysian jungle with eleven models? I was like, well, yeah, I mean, it's the, it's my new it's my new paymaster. I have to do it, right? And. Uh, I remember they put me up, I, they, it, was only, it was only a short flight to Kuala Lumpur, but they put me up in the Ritz and I was like, this is great. And then you're kind of limousined out to the jungle and you've got these 11 models doing like a, a salt course in the, it, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. But it, yeah, I, stuff like that, you have to, you know, you have to, yeah. I mean, there's a certain amount of, uh, how do I say this diplomatically, you know, going where the, if your paymaster says, you know, would yeah. you like to do this? You kind of say, yeah, I'd love to do it. Uh, you know, it, it, that's the thing about this media world. If you get a chance, I mean, in anything, in any sport as well, it's knowing when you're getting a chance and, and, 
and kind of thinking, right, I need to do this. The funny thing about that, that next top model thing was that my parents had flown in from the UK and uh, that's right, I think, yeah, sorry, we were in Malaysia staying at a hotel and I said to my wife, I need to go and do this for a couple of days. So my wife was like, what, you're leaving me with three kids and your parents while you go and stay in the Ritz for a night and then go and have a day with, with, <laughs> with 11 models in the Malaysian jungle. I was like, yeah, basically. It's a uh, tough job. There's a lot, of, there's a lot of trust. There's a lot of trust in our relationship. All right, there's a, you know, uh, but it was, yeah, stuff like that. It, it, listen, uh, broadcasting, it, it's an amazing job, but the hours are terrible. Um, because obviously, like I said before, we are, you know, we're eight hours ahead of the UK. We're what, 13 hours ahead of New York. And, uh, you know, so it kind of lends itself to some, some vampire, vampire type life. Does it give you a good buzz when, if you, if, when you know you've done a good show or a, a, like a good week or fortnight at the French Open, does it give you a, a buzz in the same way that something on the field would have given you a buzz? Yeah, that's a good question. I was thinking about that the other day. You know, getting, taking a wicket, that, that's a real, it is, it, it is almost like a drug actually. Not that I've ever taken any drugs, but it's almost like a, it's that adrenaline rush, isn't it? And you know, a combination of success for you, success for your team, your buddies patting you on the back, high fives, and then, you know, getting back to your mark for the next delivery and you, you've taken a wicket, you know, you're, you're fired up, you're ready to run in, the boys are kind of, come on, Jace, come on, we got this, you know, having a good show. Um, you know, it's funny, with cricket, I, I lacked huge amounts of self-belief, uh, you know, and... With TV, I've never had that. I've always backed myself. Um, my preparation, I think the difference is, is my preparation in, in cricket, uh, in TV is, is actually probably a little OCD. Um, but I think I learned that from my Sky News days where if there's breaking news and you, you need your notes, you need, you need to have done your homework, otherwise you're screwed because the auto cue goes down, you're staring down a black hole of a camera and you've got to talk to it for hours and hours and hours. So my preparation, I think that's, maybe that's the difference. My preparation at, in my cricket career wasn't what it should have been until very late on. Uh, you know, I remember Peter Roebuck, you know, saying to me a long time, he said, he said to me at Taunton once, he said, he said, you're bloody talented, but he said, you know, even Brian Charles Lara works his ass off. And I didn't know what he meant, actually. I was, I was just so far up my own backside. I didn't really know what he meant, but obviously now I can, you know, he was right, you know, and Peter Roebuck's a, you know, what's the word, probably interesting character, you know, may you rest in peace, but um, he was right, you know, it, it's, and it didn't dawn on me until too late that, that, you know, cricketers and the best, they work bloody, bloody hard and they work harder than anybody else. Roger Federer looks like a, you know, he's kind of, his balletic movement, he, everyone says he's, he's been touched by the hand of God with his talent. He works his socks off. You just don't see it. You don't see videos of him training. He doesn't post it on social media, but he, you know. Um, so, and, and I've taken that to my, my TV career now where I, I, I leave no stone unturned. There are bad shows, but I think, I think I'm confident in my own ability that I, 
I, you know, and I'm lucky as well. I, I don't, I, I don't bring my work home. I, I can literally studio show done. Hopefully, my bosses. It's a subjective industry as well. It's difficult because you know, you as my boss, you might not like me as a person. You might not like what I said in that show, and then your card is marked, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you have to be, you have to be on top of your game. Uh, you know as with all professionals, but I think maybe in TV it's a little bit more front facing and a little bit more, uh, you know, it's not a desk job. You've got to look good. You've got to sound good. Your voice has got to be clear. You've got to, you know, yeah. You, you, yeah. yeah, that's, I mean, there's, there's, yeah, a lot of things you've got to make sure is, is good. Do you look back fondly on your playing career? Do you have sort of playing career highlights that stand out that, you know, you, you sit and have a moment's quiet and remember that game, that innings, that spell, or is that sort of just gone and, and done now for you? No, I, I love cricket, my God. And, and, you know, the best thing I've done is, is go back into coaching. You know, I took my level three in mid two thousands up in Durham with Peter Martin, Mark Chilton. I think Neil Lennon was there as well. Um, uh, I tell you who else was there as well. Richard Dawson was there, um, you know, who's now involved with the England setup, right? Um, you know, um, and uh, the best thing I did was, was get back into coaching, and that's I'm loving it. I'm coaching every day in the Singapore heat, which is challenging in itself, but it's it's brilliant to 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 kind of give back to pay it forward. I think you know my lessons and experiences of my whether it's lack of self-belief or, you know, my highs or lows, I think, it, you know, I, I've learned a huge amount about the mind. Uh, I'm big into the psychology of the game, actually. Um, so I think the highs for me, you know, my game against Australia um, at Bristol, you know, I got Steve War out, Mark Taylor, LBW. Um, you know, I got four for 70, opened the bowling with Courtney Walsh. I mean, you know, dream come true, right? Although Courtney was... He was bowling off like two or three paces, still bowled the speed of light, but he's, uh, you know, um, yeah, I mean, my first three games for Worcester, I got 10 wickets in each match. Um, uh, a highlight was playing for Kent against Nottinghamshire, and I think Knotts, this was a first class game at Canterbury, Knotts set us 356 in like 55 overs or something on the final day with Paul Strang throwing it into the slope at Canterbury. And Carl Hooper was just slog, slog sweeping him and he got 170 on it. You know, that's a highlight because that was the most amazing innings I've ever seen. It was turning square and Hoops in his sun hat was just twatting it over, over the indoor school at Canterbury. It was just ridiculous. Um, highlight is also Surrey against Yorkshire at the Oval and, and my good mate Adam Holyoke was captain and, and I think Yorkshire after the Sunday league game on the Monday they had like 110 overs to get 90 to win and we won by one wicket. You know, Carl Rackham and bowled unchanged from the pavilion end and then the final wicket, Mark, uh, Adam Holyoke ran into bowl from the Vauxhall end, Mark Robinson went forward and uh, we went up for the LBW and Robbo's gone, no, I hit it. And Butch has caught it at third slip. And Butch has gone to Peter Willie, the, the umpire, is going, well, how's that, Butch? How's that, Will? And Peter Willie's gone, that's up, son. And there was just a, you know, it was just a crazy, crazy uh, win. You know, and that was the Yorkshire side with Moxon and Bias and uh, Michael Bevan. And uh, anyway, 
you know, personal performances. Uh, yeah, the Australia game is a highlight. I got, um, I think, my eight for 50 against Leicester at, at uh, Kibworth in a second team game was obviously uh, uh, Kibworth, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of highlights. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to have said I played first-class cricket. I think I'm still bitter and twisted about the fact that I, I, had, a, I had all the tools to go very, very far. And I didn't make the most of that. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's, I guess those are the little demons that are sitting on my shoulder. You know, I had all, it was all there, you know, really was. And there are a lot of cricketers like that. But, uh, you know, for me, it was, you know, I, I just didn't, didn't make the most of it. There's probably a few, yeah, just lack of, you know, the self-belief thing, I, maybe I have a theory about self-belief. If you, if you work your ass off, then you, you know that you've done everything you can. Then you can, then you can kind of, you know, not worry about it. But I think it's, yeah, anyway, you know, there's a few, there's a few demons still floating around me. Do you have um, memorabilia from your playing days in the house or is it given away or hidden away or have you got anything up? No, I've got a I've got a old Middlesex shirt with my name on the back. I've got my Surrey helmet, which my boy likes to, you know. My, I've got a, a girl and two boys, and the two boys, well, the middle child Leo was always niggling me about cricket, and I was like, because I don't really talk about it much, you know. Um, and so he's into now. He's learning cricket at Singapore Cricket Club. I, I actually get to coach him on a Monday night, which is great. And then my youngest, my youngest, who's six, he's been you know, digging me in the ribs saying, Daddy, I want to play cricket. So I'm like, great. This is great. Uh, I've got some pictures up of me bowling, of like action pictures, which are nice. Um, you know, no, not a huge amount of memorabilia. Um, I'm massively into my coaching at the moment. I love the game. You know, I, I do have some regrets, but it's of my own. I'm not, you know, I, I don't want to be a victim, right? But I, it's just, I, I just didn't pull my finger out. Uh, you, do you know what I mean? I just didn't, just didn't knuckle down really like I should have, and and uh, it's that's it. It's a waste, but it's uh, but I'm giving back to the game now, which is important to me, and it, maybe that's maybe that's my kind of redemption or or uh, you know way that I can deal with it. Uh, I'm all right though. Don't worry. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna throw myself. You know. So um, you're coaching, you're saying you're loving it. Who are you coaching in Singapore? At Singapore Cricket Club or, or wider than yeah. that? Yeah, at Singapore Cricket Club. Um, yeah, I'm coaching the seat from, you know, uh, from five-year-olds, six-year-olds to I'm taking the senior squad on on Saturday on the Padang, which is this amazing, I don't know if you've seen Singapore Cricket Club. It's just a stunning, stunning place to play cricket. It's just crazy. Uh, so, yeah. All, all ages, all all skills. I was at a school in in the east of the island uh, this afternoon with with some uh, gobby international, uh, you know, privately educated kids who was great banter, you know. And they're like, "Coach, coach, can you bowl quick?" And I'm like, "No, I can't. I'll snap in half." But I give it a go, and it's coming out all right, actually. But you know, obviously, the you know, it's um, yeah, it's great fun. It's great fun, and and the TV is, you know, I'm. You know, that's the kind of great thing. It's like you go from a TV studio and then the next morning you're up at eight o'clock in the morning sweating your, your backside off in the Singapore sun coaching, uh, you know, kids. It's, it's, uh, 
I wish I'd done it a lot earlier, but you know, like I say, broadcast is changing, so I've got a little bit more time to to give to to coaching. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm grateful for an, another chance. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I keep get handed, getting handed these chances. What what advice would you give to a young player starting out in the game of cricket today, professionally? It's a good question. Work incredibly hard. Uh, find a mentor. I don't know, that mentor thing, I don't know, do they kind of arrive or... Is it luck that you walk into, that you meet someone who takes you under their wing? I don't know what it is because my, I, the mental thing's a big deal to me. And that's, that's part of my coaching kind of, uh, my, my kind of, one of my pillars of my coaching, you know, mentorship is, is key. I think, you know, Graham Dilly was my mentor actually at Surrey. May he rest in peace as well. God, you know, Dill was, was great. And he kept it simple for me. It was like, you, you can bowl beautifully. Just do that. Don't worry about anything else. Just run in. If you can bowl, if you can swing it away at the pace that you can bowl at, that's all you have to do. Don't think about it. Just go and do it. And he, he had my back. You know, I think the key to coaching now is, you know, Hugh, I back you. You're going to play for the next two seasons. Don't worry if you get naught for spit off or naught for 300 off in the next 10 games. You're playing. I've got your back. Just let, just go and express yourself and let your talents come out. Whereas I think, you know, Maybe when I was playing, maybe there was that pressure. You remember when England went through like 10 captains in one series or something, you know, it's like, right, you have to produce now, otherwise you've gone. Um, so I've completely lost the, what was the question? It was my advice to a young player, just work your socks off. Soak as much as you can in from the senior players. Find a mentor. mentor. Uh, you know, you're a long time retired, you know, uh, just from from 18 to 35 however long your career is just concentrate on that you can get married you can have kids when you're 35 or whatever you know just focus on on you you know be selfish actually just be bloody selfish uh, maybe i wasn't selfish enough um you know uh and yeah find a mentor <laughs> what about to a player coming to the end of the career you know maybe last year of the contract or and not looking like getting a new one what would you say to them um well you've got a year left to basically meet as many people as you can you know funny de Villiers said to me he said on your way up make as many friends as you can because on your way down you're going to need them um and that's very true so hopefully that that veteran player has made friends on the way up and hopefully he's had a benefit or a testimonial has probably got you know hopefully got a few you know a few tens of thousands in the bank so something to fall back on something to invest in uh you know um and just call in those favors speak to people in industry that you've met it doesn't matter who it is and don't be you know don't be proud roll up your sleeves and get stuck in into into something else you know cricketers can give a huge amount to any industry because we are i think i think of us a very special bunch actually uh i think it's the the kind of vagaries of cricket lends itself to some pretty decent human beings when we come out 
Um, and uh, I guess anyone who's going to stand on a pitch for four days is, <laughs> is have to be pretty special human beings. But my point is very quickly because I, I, I tend to go on. But then I'm paid to talk, right? <laughs> so not by you, but uh, um, yeah, just tap up those friends, roll up your sleeves, get stuck into something uh, and, and give everything a go, really. You never know what, what might fall into your lap and you think, actually, this is great. Uh, but do it straight away. Don't sit on your backside after your career, after your last game, because that can, can lend itself to some demons, I think. You know, it's like, you know, when my stepfather was talking about retiring and I was like, don't, just stay busy, just stay busy. Uh, you know, it, it, sometimes you hear stories of people, they retire and they go downhill pretty quickly, right? So I'm like, finish your career and then literally go straight into something else. I wasn't very good at it, but I finished at Worcester in, in August or September and I was in London by the end of September starting my new job, right? So don't sit on your backside after your career's over uh, for six months to a year because you need to keep going, keep pushing try new things you know uh yeah that that's what i just keep busy stay busy and stay fit as well stay bloody fit because that fitness regimen that we've all been used to you need to keep it going because that's really good for mental health you know as we all know and that's that's uh, you know it's obviously a, a big part of professional sport and transitioning and, and pivoting out mental health you know go to the gym get bloody fit stay fit what a career jason has had since he finished playing it just shows with hard work commitment and a little bit of luck you can achieve your dreams and then some for anyone wanting a career in sports media jason's story is well worth studying as are his performances on camera too. He is smoothness personified. Next time on the Back to the Pavilion podcast, we welcome a former New Zealand international who played for Leicestershire and Middlesex in the UK before being forced to retire due to a chronic back injury in 2012. Since then, he's gone on to have a wide and varied career. It was a brilliant experience to talk to him. So join me next time as we welcome Ian O'Brien back to the Pavilion. That's all from me today. Apart from to say, please do get in touch. I love hearing from listeners. The best way is to tweet me at, at Lloydzilla. Do take care of yourself and others. Be kind. Bye-bye for now. Bye.